I think we all understand that what went on in Afghanistan is an incredible tragedy and a preventable tragedy. We're now in a situation where America has officially left, which means that it has left Americans and Afghans who worked with the Americans behind in the hands of a Taliban not precisely known to respect human rights or allow difference of opinion, meaning that these people are now in very real danger their lives. And they ended up in this situation because America up and abandoned them in a sudden and irrational hurry, very poorly through. One of the things that I pointed out as we started watching what politicians were saying about this is that the squad, the left, the people who insist that they most care about women and Muslims and rights and people of color, all of a sudden, 38 million Afghans were unimportant to them in comparison with the 10 or 20 or 50,000 that they might be able to bring into America. It was about America, not about Afghanistan. Here's some quotes. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The United States has a singular responsibility in extending safe refuge to the Afghan people. We must waste no time or expense in helping refugees safely and swiftly leave Afghanistan. We must immediately welcome them to the United States and provide real support. Does she think that we're going to have 38 million Afghans out of Afghanistan. We're going, to, we're going to abandon all Afghanistan. Afghanistan will officially close down. There's not going to be anybody left except the Taliban. Everybody who hates the Taliban, which is everybody, even in Afghanistan, we're going to let them in the United States. That's going to be the answer. We're going to just empty out the country. It's going to be a ghost town. This entire huge country, Afghanistan, is now going to be a ghost town because we're going to have 38 million more Americans, none of whom speak English, a few of whom share our values. Doesn't matter. That's what we ought to do. That's the AOC vision for the future. And Rashida Tlaib, no better. The U.S. and the rest of the international coalition must provide shelter to all fleeing the Taliban. Let's start by opening our country to shelter refugees fleeing the consequences of our actions. Cory Bush, we must welcome many, many more refugees as quickly as possible. Jamal Bowman, we should reassess the humanity and viability of the White House's limit on refugee arrivals and exceed that limit if necessary. They're all calling for the limits on admissions into this country to be thrown aside and, and that to be the appropriate humanitarian reaction to deal with 38 million people suddenly living under oppression. Ayanna Presley, the United States has to provide refuge 
for the huddled masses yearning to breathe free in Afghanistan and around the world. Again, the way we're going to give them freedom is not to give them freedom in Afghanistan, but to bring 38 million people to America. That seems to be the vision. Ayanna Presley, a little better, humanitarian concern, but then goes right back to the same squad narrative. The U.S. should do everything in our power to safely evacuate advocates, refugees, and journalists alongside U.S. personnel and allies. Each person in harm's way matters deeply. Well, yes, she's right. Each person in harm's way matters deeply. Her blindness is not recognizing that tens of millions of Afghans now left under Taliban rule are in harm's way. The answer is not for America to throw its borders open, change its standards. All of a sudden, there's no limit on refugees. That's, again, at a maximum, we're talking about 50,000 people. What about the 38 million Afghans? Where is their concern? Where is their compassion? Where is their care? Bottom line is because they don't really have it. They're hiding what their true agenda here is. Look at what they're doing. They're demonizing America. Oh, we have standards on who we admit into the country. That's evil. That's wrong. We should be letting anybody in the country who wants to come without regard for whether they share our values. And if you have any qualms about that, it's because you're a racist. It's because you're an Islamophobe. Nothing doing. It's because you don't want to be dismembered. Afghanistan is a tough neighborhood. It's not necessarily filled to the brim with good people. Again, anybody who worked with the Americans, anybody who helped the Americans, it's very clear where their values and sympathies lie and simply because they are the most in, in danger from the Taliban, 100%, they need to be evacuated and brought to America. I am not saying that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have immigration. On the contrary, I'm just saying that we have immigration as a process. It is not the first method, as it is for the squad, the first call for any situation which has produced refugees, put them in the United States. Let's just bring them here and give them everything for free and ignore the well-being of all the people left behind. It's actually a very anti-humanitarian policy. It pretends, it feigns concern for the refugees, but really it's about how bad America is that America isn't letting more refugees in. The entire Congressional Progressive Caucus said the same thing. The United States must ensure refugee processing moves forward without bureaucratic delay. And then... Then she puts in humanitarian aid to support civilians who fled to Kabul and provincial capitals, meaning anything being provided for people in Afghanistan is second to let's let them into the United States. This is just, it is so 
upended, so inverted. I think that it's bizarre that so little attention has been paid to the way the squad is misusing this horrible humanitarian crisis to make their open borders agenda case instead of actually dealing with the victims, instead of showing real humanitarian concern about... And, and, you know, the problem is, the real problem is, that what they're avoiding saying is what a terrible situation the Americans just created. When Trump had his deal with the Taliban, I'm not sure he should have had a deal with the Taliban, and I'm not going to try to defend that, but there were terms and conditions on the withdrawals. There were terms and conditions on the drawdown. And if the Taliban wasn't meeting those conditions, well, at at the time that Trump left office, the Taliban was in charge of precisely zero provincial capitals. They were completely limited to the mountains, hiding up in the caves. That's what they were doing. Now they're out of the caves. Now they're running the show. And, you know, that's deplorable, of course, but... You know, only conservatives are deplorables in the current political environment. So, you know, that's that's where we are. Um, Speaking of deplorable, as you probably have heard, Texas has uh, passed and the Supreme Court allowed to stand a new law that bans most abortions after the age of six weeks because that's when there's a fetal heartbeat. It's when there's obvious... Um, a live baby growing in the womb. And you have a whole series of leftists in the Jewish community claiming, as a rabbi, we oppose this. As a rabbi, we believe that abortion should be completely legal, etc. Well, let's start at the beginning, and I'm not the first to point this out, but if they would find a fertilized egg on Mars, every headline in every major newspaper in the world and on every one of these websites claiming that a fetus is not alive would be declaring we have found life on Mars. There's absolutely no question about it. And second point, if I go to a doctor and say, I want to get drunk and he gives me a nice bottle of bourbon. That's not called healthcare. If I say I want to get high and he injects me with heroin, that's not called healthcare. Not everything is healthcare simply because it involves a doctor and because I want it to be done to my body. It's not how it works. If a person says he wants his hand cut off, we get him psychological counseling. We don't let him cut his hand off. So here we have people on the left, especially deplorably in the Jewish community, claiming this is health care to terminate a pregnancy for no other reason than the woman wants to. Now, usually, usually, these people point to radical edge cases to say that somehow in some situation... Uh, Jews are going to lose their religious liberty. It's going to impinge on our rights. Look, the bottom line is that you could say, you could argue that there should be no property laws in the United States because we have our own property laws. That there should be 
no punishment for theft because we have our own vision for what a thief is supposed to do to repay the money. There should be no laws against murder because we have our own death penalty, except, of course, we're not allowed to implement it. You know, at some point, you have to accept that government has a right to make laws and indeed an obligation to make laws, even though in some cases we would prefer to do things a different way. Well, these laws that they're talking about, nobody is talking about a situation where the mother's life is in danger. So as a matter of fact, it's really difficult to find a case of a Jewish person who observes Judaism whose rights would actually be impinged under this law. They're looking for that edge case because obviously in all areas of the law, there would be more freedom for Jews to do what we feel is legally obligated if we knew that there's no, there's no secular law about it at all. But you cannot limit it to this one case, which is what they're trying to do. In every other case, they completely recognize that U.S. The U.S. has an obligation to make laws, and those laws protecting our property, protecting us from stealing, protecting us from murder, protecting us from vandalism, even if the way they go about it isn't the way that we would go about it. Because, hey, we live in their country. We live in the country uh, that is the laws are determined by the government and the citizens who choose the government. And we get to vote like everybody else. But things are not always going to go the way that we would like them to be. And they're certainly not going to go the way that halacha, Jewish law, would go. But the idea that therefore we should have in this particular, only in this one area, government should make absolutely no laws whatsoever and there should be a complete free market to kill the fetus, not only is it crazy, it's completely morally wrong. Again, everybody understands that a kicking fetus is a human baby. They dote over the mother because the mother is carrying, because she's with child. They're all excited about the baby who's coming, unless she wants to kill it. It just doesn't make... And, and so let's just take a particular example, because here's a woman who at least she was honest about it. A rabbi writing in JTA, this is what the left calls a rabbi, my abortion was a blessing. As a rabbi, I will fight for others to be able to make their own sacred choice. Notice, she calls it a sacred thing. She, my gosh, this is a woman calling herself a rabbi. She doesn't believe that keeping, being a rabbi is sacred. She doesn't believe that Judaism and Jewish law is sacred. But killing a fetus, that she believes is sacred. Number one, here's what she writes. On the second night of Rosh Hashanah and my second year of rabbinical school, while working at my first ever high holiday pulpit, I accidentally conceived. Did she even like write this? Did she even publish this seriously? She's declaring that on one of the holiest nights of the Jewish year, while she was in rabbinical school, while she was working as a rabbi, she got herself pregnant. 
It's later she mentions the would-be father. So it's clear she wasn't married to him. So here she is on one of the holiest nights of the Jewish year while working in a rabbinic capacity. She got herself pregnant. I accidentally conceived. What did she do? Drop a knife on her toe? It's not exactly, this was not an accidental act. She deliberately engaged in behavior that you're supposed to engage in when you're married. And she did it while serving in a clergy position. I mean, while working in my first ever high holiday pulpit, I can't tell you exactly what that means, but it sounds like she was in that locale specifically to be there to serve as rabbi. And I, I mean, honestly, the way she presents it, it sounds like she was only in that location for a brief period, which means the guy was a one-night stand that she met during Rosh Hashanah. I mean, that's what it sounds like. I, I am not telling you that that's what happened. But this is just appalling that you would even make it sound this way. And then she she prayed. She talked to her quote-unquote rabbinic mentor. She called the would-be father. And she decided she's going to kill the baby. And that's her sacred choice. And that's her health care. And everybody should have the right to do this. Is there any greater sign of an inverted planet than a person claiming to be a rabbi, claiming to be a observing a Jewish value, making a sacred choice to kill a baby for no other reason than that she accidentally conceived one of the holiest nights of the Jewish year. I don't think I have anything more to say. Inverted Planet is generously sponsored by the Stitzer family in the memory of Carl and Rita Stitzer. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure you've subscribed. This podcast is available on all major platforms and all popular Android and iPhone podcast apps. And be sure to spread the word by giving us a five-star rating and telling your friends about the Inverted Planet podcast. Thanks for listening.